All right, Richard. So we've been watching various Star Trek shows for almost five years now. We've seen many different types of good episodes. We've seen many different types of bad episodes. And Non Sequitur is, I think, the worst type of bad Star Trek episode in that I could not tell you a single thing about what happened in this episode because it was so incredibly boring. Yeah, it's a, it was in a way, in a lot of ways, it's a good premise just in search, uh, but that's all it is. Um, Again, I said this is one of those themes that I see Voyager returning to, that this false home or this thing that looks perfect looks like a really nice place to place to live, place to settle down, but it's not it's not home. It's not the real world. It's not where they're meant to be. It's not their fate is a, used, is a word used in this episode. It's not their fate to uh, live in the planet from the 37s or in um, – what the fuck was that episode in the hedonistic pleasure planet? Um, State of flux. Yeah, you know, it, it, no it, prime it, factors. Prime factors. Um, yeah, this is another iteration of that in a way, but and, and one that is more personal to Harry Kim. But I, I yeah, it, it it feels very airless. There's no. He's I don't know. He just doesn't well, seem it. He's not he's not interested in staying. And I think that this is fundamentally my problem with this episode. Right. Is that the entirety of the first season of Voyager and part of the second season of Voyager was this existential question about what home is, where are they going to go? What is really important to them? Is it really important for them to make the journey all the way back to the Alpha Quadrant to be able to go visit, you know, the Grand Canyon or Vulcan again and feel like they're at home? And and time and time again, the answer has come up. Yeah. The answer is yes, right? They've had three or four false starts about getting home very quickly in the first season. Then we had the 37s, which was this kind of yeah. va- variation on a theme, essentially, which was, okay, we're not going to get home quickly. This is not going to be a quick fix situation. This is not uh, episode 15 of the fourth season of TNG, right? Like, they're not going to get thrown across the galaxy and then come back at the end of the episode and everything's going to be fine. And next week, they're going to be by Mars. So... Or at most a two-parter. <gasps> yeah. Right. Or at most a two-parter. And so the 37s introduced this new idea, which was, okay, we're not going to get home quickly. So here's a planet that for all intents and purposes is like yeah. Earth. And they still didn't want to stay there. They still felt like getting back to their home was important. So now we get this episode non sequitur, which is supposed to be a character study of Harry Kim, which tells us absolutely nothing about Harry Kim, has no inclination even that this question is is there. And that, I mean, perfect example is that he is with his girlfriend, now fiancé. The fiancé part is new to him. When he left on the Voyager, yeah. he, they were just girlfriend-boyfriend. Now they're, now they're engaged to be married. It would have been trivially easy, and I, I don't want to try and fix this, this episode, but it it would have been so much more satisfying to have the question raised about okay harry kim is actually home why does he yeah. want to get back to the ship so badly i have no satisfactory answer for that but worst of all the episode doesn't even seem to realize that that's a question you know eventually he does get into this place where so he has this friend dan dan bird or whatever and he does feel bad that oh god he's in my place and he would have been He's on Voyager, way the hell out in the Delta Quadrant. By the way, uh, can't Harry Kim go to Starfleet and say, look, here's what happened to Voyager. You need to start dealing with this and looking and figuring out for – but anyway, that that's that's not even <laughs> – that that's not even an issue here. We, let's not even get into that. Um, but especially when Tom Paris is introduced in the episode – 
Tom Paris is doing objectively worse than he did. He is on Voyager, right? Sure. I mean, even though he's way the hell out in the Delta Quadrant, Tom Paris is starting to grow as a person. He's coming into his own as a pilot, as an officer. He is cleaned up here. He's a drunk who's going really nowhere. He is. He, he has succumbed to his anger and, te- and temper and just hasn't really found anyone to groom him. So, okay, fine. I can see especially – I can see from what we know about Harry Kim, from what we know about the Star Trek philosophy, that the right decision that Harry Kim is going to make this sacrifice for his friend, even though we're both going to be out in the Delta Quadrant, we will be better and maybe we can find a way home. Again, at that point, I can see him deciding, all right, I have... But beforehand, he doesn't even seem... He he seems immediate like, no, I've got to go back to Voyager. He doesn't even... And I guess, I guess it's partial I, – I I don't know. It just He doesn't even seem interested – he never plays his clarinet. He never sees, seems seduced by this world. He bounces off of it immediately, and I don't necessarily know if I buy that. I, I don't buy it either, and I think that's a fundamental problem with the episode is that, that Brian and Braga did not know what kind of story he wanted to tell. Yeah. I mean I, I, I fundamentally do not know what the point of this episode was because if it was – supposed to be some sort of interesting look at harry kim it failed if it was supposed to be a fun time travel adventure story it failed uh i mean let me let me it's nothing essentially there is nothing here in a lot of ways this reminds me of the choice given to the doctor in projections at the end basically you have this life where you're married and you have an assistant and a good job which is the exact same things that harry kim has in this episode, uh, but that is the illusory life, and the real world is unfortunately the one where they are way the hell, way the hell out in Voyager, but, I mean, I bought that for the Doctor, that made sense, and that was a stronger version of this concept. This is, I guess I'm, I'm, I'm certainly okay with, and I figure I will need to have to accept, Voyager doing certain kind of plots or certain kind of themes, and... Yet this is the same theme that we've seen a couple times, except done much more poorly. Again, they seem to have yeah. this. They seem to have this concept, which inherently could be interesting, which is that a crew member finds that due to an alternate reality accident, they didn't go on Voyager and they are home and they are what life they would have led if they hadn't been on Voyager. They are doing everything that they wanted to do. They are fulfilling their career in a way that maybe even be better than on Voyager. What is the right thing to do in this scenario? That is an interesting moral decision, I would say, but this episode doesn't, again, doesn't really have enough beyond the premise. No, I, I, I totally agree with you. I, I, I This episode is, is essentially all premise and no follow through. I, I think that, that, I mean, even to the resolution of the episode, which is about as bald-faced a, a, a just phoning it in star trek oh well it was time stream I mean, the entire thing is bullshit like yeah come on i mean it is just so fucking lazy there is no thought given to it whatsoever even by the standards of a bad star trek episode and again i think that that i'm not really angry at this episode for not being the the deep character study of harry kim that i wish it was because frankly i don't care about harry kim very much and i don't think he's very interesting so far and they haven't done anything with him but if you're going to give the character his own episode let's do something with him number one they already did something a little interesting with him in emanations Mm -hmm. and then if you're going to not be interested in the very real 
real existential questions about home and and what does it mean to want to be home and do I actually want to be here? What does it mean for the time stream to be messed up or whatever? I there's a cursory like you said the cursory sort of thing about his friend Harry, uh, Harry Bird, which is uh, who cares because we've never seen that guy before. Uh, they don't do anything with it and they don't even tell an interesting entertaining action story like if this had just been harry kim waking up realizing where he was and then saying you know what i gotta get back to voyager because this isn't right because temporal prime directive or whatever the fuck i would have been a lot more happy with that because at least then it would have been interesting and in a way here's here's this episode makes me angry (laughs) well let, let me also put it this way because how now again the enterprise deep space nine and now voyager uh the the crew has these relationships of trust, right? They all have gone through the events of the series and even beforehand together, and they are becoming a, their little little you know, and all of that. And so, whenever somebody goes to Picard or Cisco or Janeway and say, "Hey, this really weird shit is happening to me," they immediately say, "Okay, well, some weird shit is happening to you. Let's figure it out." Harry Kim doesn't have anybody that he can go to and say, "Hey." I, I here's my situation. Here's what I think. Here's what I think is happening. I need some help trying to figure. He doesn't seem to have anybody that he can trust to do that with. And I guess part of it is because, for example, the guy who's his boss or his senior on this project, uh, I'm assuming that their relation, their their working relationship began in the past six months. So Harry Kim, to be fair, doesn't really know him, but. At the same time, I don't know. Doesn't the Federation, doesn't Starfleet seem to have this relationship of trust? Yeah. Well, that, that seems, that, that's a really good point as well. And it's something that I thought about while I was watching the episode, especially in that scene, the, the second scene with the Admiral, who was apparently going on a three week trip and then was back for some reason. I mean, the episode is not even paying attention to where its characters are supposed oh, to be. Oh, I didn't even, yeah. That, you know, okay, maybe he didn't leave yet. I don't know, whatever. But it's it's still lazy. I mean, why put that in the episode? But yeah, like, uh, you know, leaving aside that point, I think that Harry Kim going to the Admiral and Harry Kim, go- Harry Kim going to his friend and saying, or his coworker, whoever the fuck it is. And saying, or hey, his fiance. But well, anyway. the, yeah, yeah. Like, talk <laughs> to his fiance about it. Like, again, I mean, oh, well, we'll talk about her because Jesus Christ. But uh, that... I guess the episode might be indicating that the level of trust and just rolling with weirdness is more a function of the captain or the culture on the ship or the space station than it actually is a function of Starfleet because both the Admiral and his coworker were super quick to go. Harry Kim is a Maquis spy. He must be put, he must have an ankle bracelet put on him immediately. Like what? Yeah. I mean, that seems like a stretch to me, but whatever. Yeah, all, what did he do? He um, they think he's a spy because he met with Tom Paris, who had been, I I I mean, but yeah, it's sloppy. It's it's just they they did they didn't want to have it, him to have anyone to trust except for his cosmic barista, and I don't know. That says something. That says something about Harry Kim, doesn't it? Yeah, and well, something that I don't think is established really. Well, let me ask you a fundamental question about Harry Kim. Uh, who who is he? Yeah, like uh, like uh, to like an honest degree, because I think at this point yeah. in in the show, 
We have a, a pretty good understanding of who a lot of the characters are. I certainly think that we have a good understanding of, uh, or, or we're de- developing, I, I guess we, I should say we're developing an understanding of who these people are if we don't know who they are, right? So yeah. Janeway, the Doctor, Cass, Neelix, even Tom Paris, I think we all have a pretty good idea of who they are. Even Harry Chakotay Kim, I have a couple ideas about, Bellani. yeah, but yeah. Harry Kim, I don't know. I Maybe he's just supposed to be boring. Well, they, they, they haven't really followed through with the concept of Harry Kim's character very much, which is that, I mean, this is a guy who, on the minutes before his departure, his mother called his captain to say, Harry forgot his clarinet. Can I bring it on the boat so, the ship so that he has the clarinet with him? And that's who Carrie, Harry Kim is, right? He's this fresh out of the academy Lived with his parents, his, you know, he has all his, they're so proud of him, he's, he's gonna do a really good job, he did really well, he's a straight-A student, he's gonna get a very nice little career for himself, he's never gonna make anything too extravagant, and, and now suddenly he is thrust into this crazy situation where, for example, he has to die as part of a plan in order to be revived to get himself out of it. He's having to deal with stuff that is so much beyond what he ever expected to be, which was just a a, a nothing special engineering guy on a ship and may, or maybe even a desk job uh, designing these things, something like that. I He's, he's not. He's who, not even an engineer, though. That's the other part of it, which drives me fucking crazy. Like, I don't know what his job is. That's true. He's the operations officer. He's essentially data. He's not an engineer. Why is he working for Starfleet Engineer on new runabout designs? Like, what the fuck is going on in this I, episode? I mean, it's you know he. I mean, he's always he's. They have him working, for example, with Balana a lot to do some kind of tech thing, and all of that's happening. So it. I, I mean, part of the sense that I get is that he's somebody who did have some technical aptitude, was not an engineer, but uh, times on Voyager are tough and they really need, you know, just as Kess is kind of learning on the job and becoming a doctor, just as Paris was a field medic for a little bit because he knew how to put on a Band-Aid, you know, maybe Harry Kim is being, is, is has to just step up and help out in engineering from time to time because it just needs to be done. But that version, the version of Harry Kim that's gone through Voyager for six, eight months is the version that has the engineering experience and could design a runabout. Not necessarily the fresh out of the academy Harry Kim that has gotten the, I don't know, maybe it's, you know, it, 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 I, I, I applaud your valiant effort at trying to make this really make any sort trying. of sense, but yeah, well, I mean, let's leave this aside because I think that there's really not much else we can say about that, but I I, I want to just briefly mention Harry Kim's fiance in this episode because I think it's just another it's a minor problem and in a better episode I probably would not have even mentioned it but the fact of the matter is the actress who is playing his fiance is is just doing a really terrible job I mean, I don't really criticize acting very often, but her line readings are incredibly weird. They're flat. She doesn't really seem to understand the emotions of scenes. Like, they have no chemistry whatsoever together. And again, that's a problem because we're supposed to believe uh, – again, there, it does – from what we see on screen, I'm not surprised that – his fiance is not seducing him into wanting this lifestyle because they don't seem to really 
care about each other much. He's not, he doesn't really seem to have any trouble leaving her, right? This is not somebody that he has, uh, did we even know that she really existed until this point? Maybe it was, she was mentioned once. We don't get, when he says stuff like, I've thought about you every day, we don't, we've never gotten that sense. No, but I mean, I think that there's a certain, I mean, I guess I'm defending it a little bit because I think that there's a little bit of shortcutting that has to go on with that sort of thing. I mean, we don't see Harry Kim every day, so we don't no, know what the sure. hell is going on in his day-to-day life. I mean, maybe he has a shrine to Libby in his quarters and is, you know, weeping into his pillow every night from, from 1900 to 1905. I don't know, but I, but I just But again, think some, that, some better chemistry between the actors would have gone to sell that, though. That, yeah, the, okay. Yeah. Oh, well, I guess it's just the case that that this might we we used to talk a lot about this to kind of uh, this kind of idea in the TNG podcast, but maybe this is just one of those twenty six episodes that just wouldn't have gotten made. Yeah, you know, it's just it's bad. The, Brandon Braggett, I don't think had an idea of what he was doing. I don't think any of the actors were very into this idea. I, it's just it's just bad, you know. And and there's no there's no two ways around it. I. It needed to it, bake a little more, but they released it before they, you know, maybe if this had been a third season episode, it might have had the time to know who this character is and have it be a little more realized. But but I guess, I mean, not not to not to turn this into a conversation about about Voyager, but but I mean, I don't know. Doesn't that worry you a little bit? I mean, we're we're talking about I think this was like episode two of the second season. I mean, shouldn't this, they have? Shouldn't they be I, like excited to write for this show and these characters? <laughs> and this is what they come up with. And, and and again, given the production stuff, there is are some differences. But this was the point of Next Generation, which was really ramping up, right after the terrible first season and a shaky beginning. This was the point when they were like, "Okay, we finally ha- know who these characters are. We have an idea of the kinds of stories we want to tell." I mean, this is something that. I think I, you're, I, I, I think I think you're thinking of the third season, not the second season. Wasn't second? Well, when was Measure of a Man? That was like late second season. Okay, maybe a little later second season. The point, either way, the point is, I I, I think you mentioned this once before on a podcast. We are very early days in the second season, and we're already dealing with Earth. They really have no interest in the Delta Quadrant, and that's really a shame. The, yeah. es- again, yeah. especially given how interested DS9 was in the Gamma Quadrant, even in the early days when it was only the odd visit here or there, um, and it was really more interested in the cardassia Bajor plotline, we still had an idea of the Gamma Quadrant. When they were going to the Gamma Quadrant, it was, it was exciting. There was something very vibrant about this this po- new all these new possibilities and an entire area of the galaxy that we've never been to and what's there and what's the mystery and what dangerous things are going to be there and when we finally found out what dangerous things were in the gamma quadrant it's again some of the best television here the delta quadrant is just kind of where they are yeah yeah which okay i mean that might be a commentary on the idea of, of television in general but just because you are somewhere doesn't mean it's going to be interesting. Yeah, but no. Then again, I mean, but then again, why make a television show about it? I, I mean, I agree with you, but I, I, I mean, I, I kind of agree with you and disagree with you. I yeah. think that the the show has obviously done a lot of stuff with with Earth and home and things like that. But I also think that, frankly, that is one of the key 
things that would be on everyone's mind. And I think for the show to not deal with that in a, yeah. in a real way or to grapple with it in a real way would have felt even worse. So I don't have a problem with that part of it. I just question the if you're going to go back to Earth and you're actually going to go back to Earth and actually have it be yeah. time travel and not have it be a hallucination or a holodeck gone awry or what the fuck ever. Yeah. I think you need to justify it more and you need to justify it more based on the 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 character work of Voyager at this point and everyone on Voyager and this episode doesn't do it. Yeah, they don't make the uh, I mean frankly, I guess part of the reason that he wants to go home so badly is because maybe he does recognize that yeah this is a very shitty implementation of what an ideal life is like i'm gonna go to the actual show i don't know like it just (laughs) nothing in here is attractive because it doesn't really i'm not an engineer why am i in an engineering job i don't really like my fiance and Gee, I don't really want to live in San Francisco. Think about how expensive the rents are, you know. Maybe Voyager where I can I, I can't even hang out with Tom Paris. He's an asshole here. <laughs> I I would I would love to live in this version of reality where two twenty two year olds can have a, a, a beautiful loft apartment in San Francisco. <laughs> uh yeah. Well, maybe maybe when we have the socialist revolution we'll we'll be able to do that. Yeah. All right, well I think that's all we can say about non sequitur. Let us talk about Twisted, which I I don't know. I don't know how you felt about this episode. <laughs> I will find out in a minute. But I was expecting to not like this episode. I remember this being a very sort of whatever episode. And I actually really liked it. Yeah. It, it, in a lot of ways, it's a really stupid episode. But they, I, I kind of felt like it just went with it. Like, I... I, I the the whole doctor's plot in the in the episode again that he is just stuck in here and he the owner of the the Marseille tavern thinks he's a bartender and she's keeps flirting with him and then she's pissed like that's an entirely stupid arc and i loved it i thought it was it was if you're go- i i think what you said is this isn't a gr- you know i don't think either of these are great episodes but if this was a bad episode, it was a very fun bad episode. It's not yes. one that I would take. It, it's in some ways this episode reminds me of the Deep Space Nine episode where they all have to play hopscotch, and it turns out it was all a game in the end. Move along home, yeah, yeah. That was a really stupid episode that at the end was just like, well, that was a bunch of stuff that happened, but it was a hell of a lot of fun. And I enjoyed myself watching it. This is an episode where a lot of stupid, nonsensical stuff happened, but it was pretty cool to watch. Well, you know what I think works so great about Twisted? And and it, it's certainly not the the science fiction plot, because who cares? And I think that you're going to start seeing that as Voyager goes on, Voyager definitely is in more of the TNG vein where... Yeah the science fiction plot is something that we're not going to really grapple with or even talk about. And DS9 jettisoned a lot of those sort of, I'll call them cliched Star Trek science fiction plots. I mean, that, that you know, DS9 for, for a large, large portions of its run and for a lot of episodes was just basically a straight-up drama that took place in space. Yeah, well, and, I think TNG thought that we... 
TNG a lot of times used the sci-fi plot as the, oh, this is what we're really coming for, and then we're sticking the character stuff underneath that, and so, you know, you get your a little protein with your candy. Um, sure. but And DS9 realized, no, nobody's fucking watching to find out what, the, you know, nobody actually really cares about the, you know, the sci-fi plot is the MacGuffin, and so there are a lot of times we can just get rid of that and just have dealing with the political situation of... Voyager doesn't really have it, – it's true. Voyager doesn't have as much of a political plot or a dr- dramatic overarching story to get into, um, and it is content with the TNG style of let's use this plot as a way to hang out with this ca- these characters. Yeah, and I'll tell you what. I mean we haven't had this type of episode in Voyager I think – well, maybe once before – and I like hanging out with these characters. Yeah. I had a good time watching this episode. And was it a revelatory hour of television? Am I going to remember it for the rest of my life? Did I think about it you know, at all after the end credits <laughs> rolled? No, I didn't. But that's okay. I think yeah. that it was a fun episode. It had some interesting things that it was doing with characters. And I don't know. I, that's all you can really ask for sometimes. Again, I, look, I, listen to how these, these, the show is probably was originally watched at the time. It was just, hey, let's watch Star Trek. We'll have dinner or, you know, we're going to relax afterwards. And, you know, that'll be nice. Oh, hey, you know, the ship is all lay out. I wonder how they're going to figure this one out. This was a really great, wow, what a weird situation. How are they going to get out of this episode? Well, and I think too, to to a large degree, I mean, because let's not forget this was the the, the last episode aired that was shot and filmed for the yeah. first season, and so it's hard to kind of you know place that into a context. I mean, we have to put it into context from where it is now. But to to me, I look at this episode and I say, okay, this is actually a really really interesting episode because what what does this episode do with all of the characters? It puts them in a very precarious situation, and it puts them in a situation that they need to be at their best to, to solve, while at the same time, it sidelines Janeway yeah. kind of halfway through the episode, so the captain is not there. Uh, the, the, the parent, quote-unquote, is not there. She cannot solve this problem for them. And so this is the first episode where the rest of the Voyager's crew, this this mixed Maquis Starfleet crew with Neelix and Kess thrown in for, for good measure have to work together to solve a problem. And for the most part, they succeed. I think that certainly they try a couple of different things and there's a little bit of friction, but at yeah. the end of the day, they solve the problem. Janeway wakes up and everything is fine. So I think it's an interesting episode for the ways in which it shows us how the Voyager crew is is developing as a crew. Well, yeah, it's not incidental that it begins and is framed around Kess's birthday party. This is a – the Voyager crew hasn't had as many opportunities for friendly get-togethers. Obviously, they were having functions pretty much every week, uh, whether it was birthdays or an, or a ambassadorial thing on TNG. So they were at relaxed function, social functions all the time. DS9, you know, Cisco would invite them to his quarters for dinner. Uh Voyager crew hasn't done much of this. I think this is the first real party that we've seen them at, right? And and I think so, yeah. Yeah, so they may not necessarily I, – I, I don't know if they're having as great of a time at Kess's birthday party as they would have having dinner at Cisco's, but largely because they are still kind of learning how to hang out as a group, how to be 
uh, ha- how to relax around each other a little bit. And yeah, sure. Because I, I mean, the, the the poker scene is probably the closest analog to to that um, to to Cisco's dinners and in, in TNG, and I think it's yeah. very very interesting that the captain had nothing to do with those kinds of scenes in TNG, whereas in DS Nine they he was they were brought together by by their captain commander whoever you want to call it, and this is that version of that for for this show. And yeah, but the, Janeway the, immediately went into started hanging out at the Marseille bar when everyone else does. Yeah, yeah, she jumps into it a bit more, and I think that that interestingly enough, though, of course, we have to think back to to where the characters were at this point in the runs of TNG and DS Nine, and you know they weren't going and hanging out at Cisco's for dinner. They weren't playing poker yeah. at this point. They they were still getting to know each other, and so I think that that maybe even the implication is that that Voyager's crew is becoming more of that sort of family element a little bit quicker because of the circumstances they, they find themselves in. Yeah, they've had to had had to become intimate a little partially because they are in such close quarters and then but also because that will happen naturally and again especially with the information at the end of um the esophagus or whatever that episode was called um that you know, now we have the first pregnancy on the ship. This might we are in this for the long haul. We might need to be creating a community in order to have the next generation continue this journey for us. And yeah, that is going to kind of force more of a group identity. It's true. Now, um, leaving that aside for for a moment, or perhaps forever, if we come back to it, great. Is that um, I think we need to grapple with uh, with Neelix and Cass again. Um, uh, uh, Neelix, Neelix being um, violently uh, jealous of Tom Paris is apparently not a one off. This is a character beat that they are now threading through multiple episodes. I don't know how you feel about this, but I feel pretty bad about it, and I think it speaks to the sort of retrograde sexual politics of. Star Trek at its worst. I mean, uh, I I guess what I have to what what I always what I'm thinking about is that, I, and it gets I, worse I, by I, the way. Oh God, because I because now you might just laugh at this because I was about to say I honestly don't think that Tom Paris has any designs on Kess. I think she's just somebody that he likes and wants to be friends with, and her birthday is coming up, and. Oh, this locket's really pretty. I think she'll love it. Like I, I, I think from his mind, this is all extraordinarily innocent and friendly. And you know, Neelix is the one blowing this up. So they, they which, but the second that he gave Kess a locket, I'm like, Tom, why? Why would you do that in front of Neelix too? Like, are you an idiot? Like, oh, why? Well, two, well, two things about the the, the locket. Uh, well, one thing about the locket. One thing about what you just said. The the locket is such a like high school gift that you give to your high school girlfriend. It's so weird. Like, I don't get like people don't wear lockets. I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> it's, just, it's just bizarre to me. It's just like what? How? What? Like you? Do you think Cass is like a child? She's not. She's, She's two. <laughs> yeah, but in in terms no, I of know. you know, she's like thirty um, or twenty five. I don't know. She's like whatever she is, but she's two. She's a she's a mature adult. She can become a doctor. She is engaged in a, a romantic, if not sexual, relationship with someone. So she is of she is of age, right? She is able to consent to all of this, and she is able to live an independent life at this point, even though she is two. Um, yeah, but maybe, but the other maybe mid college level. Anyway, yeah, yeah. 
But but the other thing about what you said about Tom Paris, though, to me is that I think you're completely wrong. I think that Tom Paris does want to uh, fuck Cass, to be blunt. and In the I, sack on her back? Sure. Why not? Wouldn't you want to? Because I think that if you look at the way the character has been developed so far, one of the consistent character beats of Tom Paris is that Tom Paris likes him some vagina. Yeah, and- but then my my other thing is... Tom Paris is not William Riker, but he is probably if he does like him some vagina, I'm sure he is a little more savvy than to then then that suggests to me that he may savvy be savvy enough to realize a way to get a woman interested to you in you is not to buy her a locket and give it to her in front of her jealous boyfriend. Like that's not. Oh, a, well, I'm not, I'm not saying that Tom Paris is a competent womanizer. That's that's fair. I'm just saying that he is a womanizer. OK, fair I mean, enough. we are not talking about we are not talking about uh, Commander Riker here. <laughs> I mean, come on. There, there's yeah. no comparison. Let me go off subject just for one second. Is womanizer like a negative term? Because like I, I Riker loves him some women, but as as we said when we watched it, you, you know he was very he's very respectful to the him. They they know what page they're on. You know all of the Riker is your basic ethical slut, and uh, to me that doesn't say womanizer. Womanizer sa- is, is a little more shitty about it. I don't know. Like, well, I I think that. I used I don't I I would not necessarily say that that Commander Riker is a womanizer for that reason. Yeah. But I would say that Tom Paris is a womanizer. That's okay, that's I I, th- uh, I, I think it. that in general Tom Paris views women as objects and does not really care as long as they have a vagina. Okay. I mean he he literally knew that Betazoid in the pilot of the show for about 2 minutes and was immediately hitting on her because she had long hair and boobs. Well, I mean, I, th- I what I'm saying is I think Tom Paris uh, needs like a flesh doll. Okay, I, 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 or a real doll, whatever they're called. Well, maybe Kes can save up her replicator rations for two weeks and and buy get him, him a, a real, real doll, doll. <laughs> of so, herself. Uh, oh God. Okay. I'm yeah. so sorry, listeners and Eric. I, 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 we need to move along quickly, 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 very quickly, <laughs> um, as quickly as Tom Paris when he enters a woman. Move uh, along. So. Home. Yeah, exactly. So uh, the other thing to, to talk about with this episode is um, remember a couple weeks ago when I said, why wasn't there more friction between Chakotay and yeah. Tuvok about Tuvok not being first officer? Okay, I apparently completely forgot that this happened because it comes up in this episode and it's great. Yeah, and this does make sense to being if this was a season one episode, because you're right, that would be something that... It wouldn't be the first thing because both Chakotay and Tuvark are too polite to say anything, but eventually will come up, and I like that it's relatively low-level drama. You have to adjust for it being Tuvok and Chakotay, who are both relatively calm in their demeanor, and so it's the equivalent of a screaming match when they disagree briefly, but at the same time, it is also very Star Trek, very... Chakotay and very Tuvok that they are able to kind of get over it pretty quickly and they kind of recognize especially they are they both know they are on the same side and if they have a disagreement well they do know the chain of command is such right yeah I I think so and I I think one of the reasons that I that I like uh Chakotay bringing it up with with Tuvok so much is that 
it it it's not something that was ever even hinted at in the show. I mean, Janeway did not even intimate that she thought about making Tuvok her first officer. And yet here we have a character beat that completely makes sense, completely comes from uh, yeah. you know who we know these characters to be so far. And Chakotay just says, hey, let's get our cards on the table. You know, I'm in charge now. And this is the first opportunity that I've had to bring this up because I have not been in charge before. So what's yeah. up? Do you resent me for being first officer? And Tuvok is like, well, I thought it was weird, but okay. And you're right. Like it's the equivalent of a screaming match and it doesn't really come to any sort of resolution. But if, if you view Tuvok from say, for example, prime factors, the Tuvok that would defy orders in order to, to yeah. um, get everyone home because that would be the logical extension of Janeway's desire to get everyone home. She would not be able to do it herself and he's going to do it for her is that Tuvok is now, I don't know. He's he's not disobeying Chakotay. He's going along with it, but he's also sort of using the opportunity to uh, tell Chakotay what he thinks and that Chakotay is not making the right decision. Yeah. Um, but eventually they do come to the agreement that doing nothing is the best course of action. And again, I think they... Again, it's Tuvok. He is, at the end of the day, going to respect Janeway's decision that... I picked Chakotay for th- these reasons, and that's that's how it is. That's how the ranking is. Ch- uh, Tuvok would, it, it, if Tuvok legitimately thought that Chakotay was a bad first officer, was going to put the ship into danger, was going to make the wrong call, was going to do harm to the crew of Voyager, then yes, he would step in. He would do something. He would talk to Janeway about that, but. Tuvok is recognizing that they may disagree on a thing, but that's that's fine. It's really Chakotay is does have the good of the ship, the good of the crew at, at, at his best interest, and all of his decisions are going to be made from that. And he is willing to listen to any objections Tuvok may have if they are, if he legitimately yeah. believes it's the wrong. And I mean, for Tuvok, that is the rightness of that. That is how things ought to be, it, and and so. I think he can respect that, and he does. No, I think that's right, and I, I think maybe a- the last any thing... any envy is not something that Tuvok is going to feel. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I think that's right, and I, I think maybe the last thing that I'll say about it is that I think that it, it also I think speaks to to the type of first officer that Chakotay is. I mean, he is not someone who is going to shy away from a confrontation, as we've seen already um, in an episode yeah. like where he punched the guy uh, in in Learning Curve, for example, and and so. He's going to get his cards out on the table and and resolve this one way or the other. And it comes up very quickly and it's resolved very quickly. Now, you could say that's a cheat. I don't think so because Vulcans don't hold grudges and Chakotay is in charge. So there's no question there. I mean, Chakotay is not having to convince Tuvok of anything. So uh, the last thing that I'll say about uh, Twisted before we move on um, is that I appreciate the fact that the show does a... Uh, the science fiction plot, we talked a little bit about it in the very beginning and said we weren't going to talk about it, but I think <laughs> that the science fiction plot in this episode actually works really smartly because the established premise of the show is them lost and trying to get home, and now they can't even find their way around the ship. Yeah. You know, it doesn't, it, it's, it's a very subtle thing, but I just kind of like the fact that they did that. You know, obviously it doesn't turn out to be just an anomaly, but an entity, and I, I am assuming that the information that they now have on the computer is will not come to much. It's not going to be how they find their way home or anything, but um, 
I think it's it a, is. It's a map to all of the In-N-Out restaurants in the Delta Quadrant. Delicious. They can get it animal style. Um, it does make a lot of sense how many anomalies they run into, though, because these really are unfamiliar waters. Any in the in the Alpha Quadrant, they've mapped it all. They know they know where to avoid things like this. Would be marked on the, but they don't. They're really just picking a direction, and so they, yeah, they are hitting a lot of shit. It does really make does really make it clear how precarious their situation is because they can't even. They're going to run into anomalies and eddies in space and dangers that they don't even know exist. I mean, maybe most people, many people in the Delta Quadrant know about this thing. Oh, at some point, you know, you'll see this ring and and it'll give you all of this porn data. It's great. Um, you just need to sit still and let it w- warp everything. It feels kind of weird. Um, yeah. There is a really nice moment in this episode that obviously was not intended as a callback to the previous episode, but does kind of act like one right before she gets warped into incoherence. And obviously this is intended to be a heightening of tension before Janeway's taken out of commission. But she does say to Harry Kim, you know, I really, I'm so pleased with your project progress. You've gone beyond any expectations. You're really important. You're one of the highlights of this ship is really nice for Harry Kim to hear a few days after he made the decision to go away from his home and his fiance that he doesn't really like and a nice desk job to <laughs> in a way it does almost come off as a validation of that decision again Janeway does seem to want to take Harry Kim under her wing she does sure. give him that day off to th- think about that time you died and were revived like it's weird isn't it take some time off so I really like her kind of, again, I wouldn't say Harry Kim is her protege. She's not completely his mentor. She has other things she needs to deal with. But I really like that side of the two of them where it is a, I don't know, she does recognize that every so often he does need to be given praise in that way. And especially given where she was at the beginning of the series, recognizing, gee, I've been the captain of the ship, but you're right, I haven't gotten to know these people very well at all why did i not take the time it's nice to see her taking the time yeah yeah i think so i think so well i think that's it for non sequitur and twisted let us never speak of non sequitur ever again it made me very angry but i'm (laughs) happy i'm happy that we had twisted to act as the palate cleanser for that terrible terrible episode if you agree or disagree with us please leave a comment on the post for this episode of the podcast at truckaboutshow.com you can check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash truckaboutshow, which also supports our other podcast, Tuning In. We are releasing in two days our episode on the season two premiere of The X-Files, Little Green Men. So check that out at tuninginshow.com and check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash truckaboutshow. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, we're on all those places. Truckaboutshow is our username. And as always, please leave us an iTunes review for Truckabout. It is especially relevant now that we have no health care. <laughs> Good feelings is all that is going to keep us alive. Next week, we are going to be talking about parturition, which I already told Richard something about, and he I was shocked remember. and surprised. So, oh, you remember. Wait, and is this the Naked Tuvok episode? No. Oh. So, yes, parturition and persistence of vision. <laughs>